Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for comedy creators of all varieties. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You are great. Thanks for coming back or being here for the first time. And we have a fun show for you today. This one is with Jaris Donovan, improviser and instructor. She lives in North Carolina now, but she has been to I.O. West. Uh, That's where she uh, trained a good bit. She'll tell you all about her career. She's uh, gone to a few different theaters, and she's fantastic. Uh, I met her last year at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. I'm really thrilled to be putting this episode out and giving you a chance to be inspired by her. If uh, this is your first time finding us, uh, thanks for being here again. And you can find more of our stuff on iTunes and SoundCloud. And you can go to thereitispod.com and look up old episodes and old blogs. I was mentioning inspiration a minute ago. And uh, tonight is uh, Monday. This is uh, what I'm recording before I post the episode up on Tuesday. And I co-founded a group here in Greenville, South Carolina called No Expectations Comedy, and it's an open mic. It's, uh, we believe it's the longest running open mic in the state of South Carolina, and it's been going on for seven and almost seven and a half years, seven and a quarter years, I guess we could say, and it's been a lot of fun. We've had so many great people come through there, Joe Zimmerman, Herbie Gill, Roy Scovel, and it's been a, a, a fun room to have, and tonight was my last night hosting before I move off to New York City, and uh, the people were great. Uh, you know, the comics are they're the best people, and they were uh, very kind, and I've been very inspired so often in that room watching uh, my peers and people who are not my peers uh, perform there, and... Um, I've learned a lot, and I've grown a lot, and every Monday, just about every single Monday, I was in that room performing, so it was uh, bittersweet to be doing it for the last time, but I was very, uh, very pleased with the night, and that's one of the great things about doing comedy, is just the inspiration you feel, you know, you remember that first time you saw a comedy show of some variety and it made you laugh and it just made you have the best time and you said, I want to do that, and you ended up doing it. And uh, that's so cool that you were inspired to do something that brought joy to your life. And you know what? It's also going to bring joy to other people's lives because you were inspired by watching someone else do comedy. Someone is very likely inspired by watching you. So it's just a cool thing. And I'm really, really thrilled that I, I have it as a part of my life. Well, speaking again about inspiration, this talk is super inspiring. Uh, Just re-listening to it as I was editing it just really got me going again, and it did when I did the interview as well. Uh, Jairus is awesome. There's so much uh, you're going to learn. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Jairus Donovan. It's really great to be talking with you. I really enjoyed 
learning from you last year when we met. Oh, I loved your class. That was such a rewarding experience. Like oh, to really? see, even in that short period of time, mm-hmm. like how everybody just completely leapt forward in the work. And oh my gosh, those scenes were so good. Like they it was were, so yeah. Enjoyable. Yeah, it was great. So yeah, I was thrilled to meet you and and see everybody. And it's been fun too to watch everybody on Facebook and see the different troops and kind of get to continue to to see what work you all are doing. Thank God for Facebook at times, seriously. Seriously, yeah. I mean, honestly, I bemoan it a lot. We all bemoan Facebook a good yeah. bit. But, I mean, I'm seeing kids who are friends of mine's kids. Uh, I get to see their, ki- their them grow up on, right. because of Facebook. And can right. get, I get to connect with people and learn so much from people that I otherwise would have a much harder time connecting with. So I... I do enjoy social media from that standpoint. I wish people, I wish everyone used it for positive gain and not simply negative gain, (laughs) negative destruction. Well, you know, I think as an improviser, there are so many tools on Facebook to stay Mm -hmm. current with everything that's going on. Like as soon as the word of UCB's grading scale came out, like within an hour, I had so much information because you know with every just about on every post and in the middle right i have someone that's involved somewhere that i'm connected to and so whether it's the newest book coming out or the type of shows that are being done or i like to be able that i can watch a cage match in la yeah and share it with my students like it's it's such an incredible resource and of course the podcast like knowing about them and being able to link right away to them it's such a great tool for improvisers. So. Yeah, I agree. And then there's a lot of Facebook Live stuff that's been... Maybe oh, that's yeah. how you saw the one thing. But it's it's been really great. And just connecting with people. And uh, people you, you meet at a festival you can connect with deeper, like we did. Mm-hmm. We got to... Uh, right. You know, we met at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. Mm-hmm. And have been able to stay in touch. And I've been able to ask you questions and get a ton of information mm-hmm. that's been directly beneficial to me as a performer and as a coach yeah it's it's such a such a good thing for improvisers and anyone really wanting to create stuff it's Mm -hmm. it's all about getting the word out about things right right you know through being friends with you on facebook i have seen a picture of you on uh uh two guys a a girl what's the name of the show two guys a girl in a pizza place well, that was the original name, and then it became Two Guys two and a guys Girl. A girl, yeah. And then eventually the they canceled it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you were on an episode of that show. I was, yes. What was that experience like? Um, it's, you know, I don't know, it seems so different now, but uh, it, it was good. It was also, I, I would say, very isolating. I just remember being on the stage. There's The stage was broken into, like, through a set was working with three different four different sets and I was on that set mm-hmm. and like literally by myself in almost darkness waiting <laughs> and I just thought that was such a strange thing and uh and then eventually it was just Ryan Reynolds and I standing <laughs> and I remember uh saying like extending my hand because there was no one around but us and I'm extending my hand saying hi I'm Jarris and and he's like oh I'm I'm eating a bagel and like refused to shake my hand he's what <laughs> He was like, I'm eating a bagel and uh, refused to shake. And I thought, okay, we're the only two people here. And now you've created the most awkward moment of silence, possibly in the history of man. 
So yeah, it was weird, but uh, but it was good. It was a good experience. Was um, he blowing you off, or was, did he continue talking, or was he just like, oh, not we'll really? No, no, no. I think uh, yeah, he was just sort of done. But uh, uh, well, <laughs> I think it's just. You know, for him, it's like one other guest star, you know, one other mm-hmm. person that's here this week. Like, they've got bigger fish to fry. Um, yeah, and I, I, but the whole know, he's one of those guys that. that people like to think is fun to be around. And that's not a story that sounds like that. But obviously. <laughs> but know. I think now he is. It I seems. Do. I, I do, yes. It does and seem I, like his. Uh, and I, I didn't pay any attention to him then. But the way you see him out and about now, it does seem like he's a more grounded celebrity. And you can yes. kind of tell the ones who are grounded and who are not. And he sounds yeah. more grounded. So that's, well, and you yeah. have to, I mean, I'm an empathetic person. And you have to think, he was very young mm-hmm. and very talented. Mm-hmm. And um, I can imagine how that would how that would affect an ego. Yeah, I mean, people say I'm a it. nice guy. But if I was 22 and got famous... Oh, I'd be you know, a jerk. You know, exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like fame does that to people at least a little bit. Like, some kind of attention. But it, what seems to be consistent is that if someone gets to be famous in their mid to late 30s, generally they are normal about everything. Right. Because <laughs> by I that mean, point they might have kids or something. Exactly. And I think that changes everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, don't you think Tom Hanks is probably a little bit of a jerk during Bosom Buddies? I mean, seriously. <laughs> he had to have been because he was like the thing. He was and the guy. And it was he was Bosom the Buddies. guy. And I, I would think that that age you might be a little bit of a jerk and that he's obviously grown out of and now he's like. Right. Well, a buddy of mine, one of my best friends who I went to college with was saying if, if the internet was when we were in college what it is now and we ended uh-huh. up putting something out there that got that went viral, we would have been huge jerks. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't. I've said that many times. I can't even imagine. <laughs> what? Getting that much attention that's just people lauding over you when you are too young. Your brain's not fully developed <laughs> and you're not used to dealing with anything like that. Of course it's going to go to your head. In the oh, worst yeah. way possible. Um, mm-hmm. So I can see that. Well, I'm sure you've seen that even with improv, improv teams, like where they hit it real strong and they're just great. And then, you know, news around the theater is, God, they're kind of being jerks. You know, well, I mean, that happens to even on the smallest scale. Thankfully, I haven't seen that in the theater that I'm in. But I have, at, at a festival, I have seen people who are from other towns who I guess they just felt like they were the hot thing because mm-hmm. of the town they were from or their theater they were in. And then you see them perform and you're like, what are you so arrogant about? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not any better than anyone else here. <laughs> you're not bad, but you're not better but than anybody huge, else. I don't know what you're thinking. huge in Buffalo. Right. They're huge. Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, where, did, where are you from originally? I'm a mutt. Um, I originally, originally am from Kansas, but also Illinois, a little bit in Ohio, a little bit in the East Coast, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just sort of everywhere, uh, Chicago, L.A., so really everywhere. Was that military? Uh, education. Yeah. Education. Okay. Yeah. So I can't, I don't, I don't know. I claim yeah. many places. Okay. <laughs> and you're in Raleigh currently. I am. 
Right. That's where I grew up as a little kid. Oh. Uh, so it's it's always got a soft spot in my heart. But you trained, I'm I believe, in Chicago. I did. I okay. trained in Chicago, um, a little bit in Boston, but then I moved to Chicago, trained with Improv Olympic there, Second City, a little bit of annoyance, and then I moved to Los Angeles, where I where we had an Improv Olympic West branch. Right. So when I went out there, I already had a theater that I was somewhat affiliated with, and so just kind of you know got eventually into the mix there and got on a team, and then uh, worked my way up to teaching so excellent okay i want to go back a little bit and and mm -hmm. see uh jairus who started out in improv where where your growth came from where what seemed to inspire you the most um i because i started in stand-up and in my college years i did short form i was kind of one of those you know smart alecky fast people mm -hmm. and uh so in Second City, that's where I had started, and that's their the first level one was sort of like encouraging of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I knew that someone kept saying, "Go to I O, go to go to I O," and I took a class at I O, and it just all made sense to me. Like it it changed everything. You know, I was I didn't see the value in the the going for the joke. I didn't see the value in um, the quick quick, and I it just. It just was like a lightning bolt. And then I realized then at that time, by level two, I was studying with Miles Stroth. And I realized I needed more of an acting emotional foundation because, you know, when I grew up, it was best to suppress everything. <laughs> right. And as an actor, yeah. It's yeah. very common now, yeah. Like a, like a good Midwestern kid. And uh, <laughs> I realized how important it was as an actor and an improviser, mm -hmm. contrary to stand-up and stuff like that, that you had to have access to all your emotions. So I studied Meisner along with Level 2, and that just completely yeah. changed my life, changed my life. And Miles Stroth is very much... He's a an instructor, but he's also a, a continuous student of improv, and so he would, he he really thinks things through, and he'll get up and work things, and and it was such a, an education to watch him his mind work, that I like I like studying things, I like puzzles and problems, and so I really um, connected with that, mm. and uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say I was really instrumental in giving me a path of where I wanted to go in improv because, as you know. There's so, there's a type of improv for everyone. Right. Yeah. That's the name of a book that I always tell people to read by Greg Tavares. Yeah, it, it is. And so maybe this is not your style. Maybe that's not your style. Maybe you're creating your own thing. That's the beauty of Chicago, too, is there is a theater for you. depending yeah, on something the style. for everyone. Everyone. Right. Uh, and that's that's a great advantage to, to spending some time there. Um, so I was able to jump around to different theaters, and I found a couple, you know, I didn't gel with, and but really just kept going back to I.O. And, mm. and spent the majority of my time there, finished all the, you know, groups there. So I was able to study with Dell, which is That's amazing. Just, yeah, you can't even top that. And actually took him twice. <laughs> I think I was like the second to last class before he passed. Oh, wow. So um, I was very fortunate to be there at the time that I was. Yeah. And he had, I heard he had mellowed by that point. He had, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't... I, yeah. A lot of people but, might mean, say, like, oh, did he say anything crazy when he was critiquing you, but since he had mellowed by that point. Yeah, yeah, nothing too crazy. But it was, 
very uh i don't know i mean it's like a religion almost you know like yeah. you're, you're finally with the pope and uh I just remember panicking to make sure I was never late to class. Like, oh my gosh. Like, just mm-hmm. that. Once you're in, it was like a tomb. <laughs> you just waited for him to speak. But uh, it was it was a great experience taking from him, learning from him. And uh, he was very communicative about, you know, why things work, why things didn't. And very direct, which could yeah. also be... Like you just reached that age where you're like, look, I'm going to tell you how it is because that's how I'm going to be. Yeah. And I appreciated that directness. Um, I appreciate directness too. I find it hard to do myself. I feel like mm. there's all this like inner motivation that I have to go through in order to say the thing. And it ends up not being as direct and also like I'm pushing something out. And that is harder, I think, on a subconscious level for a team member or a student to to receive but one of the things I really appreciated about your teaching style was that you were direct and you a lot of people when they are sometimes direct I'm one of them will be a little apologetic about it but there's nothing Mm -hmm. to apologize for and you're the type of unapologetic direct coach that I feel like people need oh well thank you yeah is that just from having worked with people like Dale Close and taught from, you know, learned under people like Dale Close and Miles Stroth. I get the impression he is uh, similar in that. He's very direct. Yes. Yes. Um, I think so. Um, I mean, there was a big span of time after I left Chicago and I went to LA and I was getting on teams and um, I had a few coaches that, that were direct and I I really liked their approach. But I think, um, I think my style of coaching is I I really want to solve what each individual's not I won't say the word problem but like why they're stuck or or what they're not seeing that they have the potential of doing mm-hmm. and uh, I I kind of look at everybody that way and and I, I just sort of allow myself to get into a space where I can just really watch and tune in and, and it just sort of comes from that space so. I don't even think about it. I mean, I, I try to phrase it as constructively as possible, but I also really want to allow myself to say what comes in. I call it like the drop in, like where something just comes in your head and you know that's what you need to say. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that what's coming out is something that only they understand. Like oh, wow. it just hits a point in their brain that's like, that's, yes, that's what I've been struggling with. Like I'm hoping that... I create an atmosphere where we allow our minds to get to that place to where I can just sort of hone right into what that is and give them that information. And I've been pretty fortunate and lucky that it's been working. There's some days when I'm off, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I really, uh, I want to encourage like each individual to find what their voice is. Cause like we said, everybody's different and the beauty of it. And so I, I kind of set that as my goal to make sure that by the time you begin and end class, you know what you are working on specifically, not just what you're working on improvisationally. That's great. I like that frame of mind that you get in of, I want to help this person do the thing that they're trying to do. That's not mm-hmm. how you worded it, but it bears just pointing it out again that that is such a good frame of mind to have if you're coaching or teaching because then 
your notes are not about the scene or the choices. It's about mm-hmm. uh, helping the person. And I think a lot of people learn, like the, the bad coaches or teachers that are out there, they learn from the directness a bluntness that doesn't actually benefit anything. It's just them judging the student or the you know the person that they're coaching so yeah which is terrible that doesn't (laughs) judging them doesn't doesn't teach them anything other than that you didn't like it right I I hear I hear that a lot like I've had a lot of and and mainly adults you know because they've been around at different theaters and stuff that say that it's the feedback they get isn't hurtful or or um like you said a judgment you know, like where people second guess if they should even do improv after they leave a class, which is horrible. I mean, right. I, I, I don't I don't see what the benefit is for a teacher to make someone feel that way. I don't see where that's constructive at all. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that that frustrates me. So which and and if any, I mean, if I ever breathe something like that to a student, I, I would hope they would tell me immediately because I would I would not want that to come out that way. But uh, yeah, it's, it's strained. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, the teams that I coach on the first day, I always tell them, uh, if I, I'm here to help you and to challenge you, I'm not here to judge you. If I point out something, I'm not criticizing your choice or you as a person. If I ever say anything that makes you feel that, that I am judging you or criticizing you, I'm the one who's made the mistake and I apologize and I'm going to yeah. do what yeah. I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again because we are trying to just challenge people and sometimes you do right. have to kick somebody in the butt maybe, but right. that's still for the benefit of them. It's not, right. let me just hear myself talk. Right. Right. I mean, it does, it does call for tough love every once in a while. I'm a right. tough love person. Right. Um, you also have to, um, I think as an instructor, it's important to know a little bit about your students or hopefully they will share enough about them that you know that sometimes, and you know this, people bring stuff in. Yeah. So you may say something that's something you need to tell them, but they're taking it from, you know, through the filter that they brought in with them. Exactly. And so there's some, there's some duty on their side too mm-hmm. to come to class and make sure they take that filter off because otherwise you can't, it, it, there's nothing will get accomplished. Right, and that's something I was actually another aspect that I wanted to talk to you about in regards to coaching and teaching when you are giving a note and it isn't a positive note and the Mm -hmm. person apologizes. You you give them the note Mm -hmm. and they say, Oh, I'm sorry and they feel bad about what they've done and they it's like they owe you something and those situations are really tough for me, uh, when I'm talking to anyone and they and I'm just sort of pointing out something and that's their response is there some way other than saying hey you need to take that filter off uh, which is obviously a responsible uh, aspect of their important mm-hmm. responsibility of theirs but what can I do differently to help that person in that kind of situation and to get past that um, I think if someone apologizes I tend to say well you know you know don't apologize. Hey, now we know. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you know that you didn't know. Now you know. So now you just go forward with that. There's no need to apologize. This is all about learning. You know, I had a student mm-hmm. that felt that he went out like in every scene, uh, and he kind of did. But he was so enthusiastic, mm-hmm. so wanted to get the energy moving that he just kept doing it, and he took it very hard. And I said, "Look, 
your enthusiasm, you, you, you went out because you knew that show needed energy. Right. So don't apologize for that. You know, <laughs> sure. You know, now, you know, you need to temper and you need to be aware of that and find other ways to get the energy going, but don't apologize for the core reason why you did what you did. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? If you, yes, if you absolutely. Why they may not take it so hard on themselves. I don't know. Yeah. And well, I was taking a class once and uh, the teacher made a note about something I was doing. It's like, oh, she said, oh, don't do that. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And she stopped and she said, don't apologize. Like, don't be sorry, <laughs> because if you were perfect at doing this, you wouldn't be taking a class. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's like, give yourself some freedom here to make some right. mistakes. And I right. think that was a good note. Um, mm-hmm. In regards to what you just said about the the bringing the energy to the stage that's that's a pretty eye-opening thing it's something that i noticed but that phrasing was not in my head and it's it was like i just found the key to a a, a locked door um yeah. <laughs> where i kind of i wanted to get in that door and i knew it was in yeah. there um i love that because that is the sort of thing that's missing when people hesitate on the sidelines to go yes. in like we're going in the second beats, but I can't remember or, you know, or I'm, I'm too scared to go out and initiate my scene idea. Right. It, it, it is like there's this lull in the energy. Yes. And it's going out there. It's just keeping that energy going. You're just filling this gap where right. energy is supposed to be by bringing energy to it. That's great. You know, it's like keeping that balloon in the air. You have mm-hmm. to keep the balloon in there. But I find it's less of a challenge with um, teens <clears throat> excuse me, than it is adults because we're so damn polite. Right. And Especially so here, ta- it seems like, oh, in the South. Yeah. It's, yeah. Bless their heart. I don't want to go out and step on their line. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but so I tell them I want it to be uncomfortable on the wall so that getting out would be more comfortable. Like mm-hmm. physically, I put their energy in their toes. Mm-hmm. And make them lean a little bit forward. Mm-hmm. You can't put your butt on the wall, can't put your hands on the wall, can't cross your arms, can't put your hands in your pockets. You need to be standing there ready to be of service. And so the only thing you're doing is watching that scene like, this is my scene too. Right. Not, that's their scene. Now, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because you may be doing something in that scene that leads to something you're not even aware of later on. So if I look at that scene and it's, you know, two guys in a donut shop, do I say, do I need someone over in the corner just drinking coffee? Do they need me right. to help us be real? Do they need an edit? Do they need a walk-on? Do they need me to be an inanimate object? Like, if you look at the scene like it's your scene, your energy is towards that focal point. Mm-hmm. And if your body is physically leaning into that focal point, then you just, I think, just by just you know energy itself interacting with each other you mm-hmm. have to keep it going but i think a lot of adults tend to look at a show with through their ego and sometimes self-judgment right and keeps them from going out and that drives me insane like i, I that's <laughs> yeah. my biggest criticism of most adult teams is they're not fast enough they're not free enough they're not physical enough Mm-hmm. And all of that has to do with how comfortable we are just hanging out and being funny. Right. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. That, and that's the discussion I've had with other people about that, that um, asking for, uh, you know, kind of asking for approval to, mm-hmm. do a, to like, 
initiate a scene and it's kind of right. like, well you're doing improv everyone expects you to do this <laughs> you know right. it's okay you don't have to ask for ask for um, our approval of it yeah. um, <laughs> you can just go out there and do it and it yeah. is it is a frustrating thing because sometimes that's the sort of stuff that's holding people back and it's when that's what's holding someone back it's hard mm-hmm. to get to the really meaty stuff right Right. You can't do advance the more artistry of improv mm-hmm. if you can't get past yourself. Right. You know, and the artistry of improv really is reliant upon a group mind and just completely as as the existentials as we call it, jumping into the abyss. Right. And what I find again, I think it's just youth and, you know, just Kind of, you know, we always say as adults, we want to get to our sense of play, get to our sense of play. Mm-hmm. And most of my teen groups, well, they're already there. Right. You know, they're playing all the time. <laughs> and it's it's such a, a contrast because they're just like going, 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 going. And it all makes sense. And they're, they're all like they're firing all pistons. And then the next show can be an adult show. And it's just it's all of a sudden everything goes down a level because mm-hmm. they're not at that sense of play naturally. So whatever adults have to do to before they even meet with their group to get to that playful space, they, they owe it to their group to do that. Yeah, and yeah. the audience. I mean, we, we can't forget that we are there charging an audience money yeah. Yeah. to entertain them. And so there's just no room for hesitancy and second guessing if you asked someone to come see you. <laughs> to plop down 10 bucks. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's a lot of money. And, and, uh, and yeah. to spend their time with you. I mean, especially right. in this day and age where there's so many options on television, yeah. on the internet, just out in the world in their town. They could do some meetup right. group. They could have been doing so many things that you could right. not do. 50 years ago or 30 years ago and uh, we're asking them to spend that time with us so Mm -hmm. you're not only asking you're not only honoring that the fact that they paid money but you're honoring the fact that they are spending their time with you right right and it they need to create an atmosphere of the audience feeling like oh thank god i didn't miss this right right i feel uncomfortable for that person they don't look comfortable on stage or they look like they're not sure. You know, you don't. You just don't want to do that. So whatever conversations you can have with yourself, you <laughs> get <laughs> <laughs> there. I mean, they have, you have to be present with that, mm-hmm. I, that concept. That no, I'm an entertainer. Like it or not, if you're an improv troupe, you're an entertainer. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the tough love side of me. Women don't do it. Yeah. You know, if you can't accept the responsibility of an entertainer and and being someone who is to help people escape their daily lives. By completely giving into a character or a moment or a scene, mm-hmm. then do it. Yeah, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more, actually. When you were starting out, uh, and you were seeing a lot of the greats of Chicago and performing yes. with, with people and performing on great teams yourself, and uh, then went out to L.A. and was the same story. W- were there the people that we all know and love now that when you saw them earlier on that we're having some of these difficulties that we talk about now? Oh boy. I, I, uh, I can't think here because I mean, when I was studying, I got to see, you know, Rachel Dretch and Tina Fey and 
on the main stage of Second City. So you got to see them right in their prime. And right. uh, I was, that was, I mean, you know, magical. Mm-hmm. And at I.O., I, I was uh, able to see people like Stephanie Weir, you know, who's mm-hmm. a genius. And not only in an improv show, but also got to see her do uh, perform with Jimmy Corain, a Meisner style improv that lasted like an hour, just the two of them. Wow. And yeah, so, you know, people that were just at the height of their playfulness because the stakes weren't as intense as if they were living in L.A. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really pure. Um uh, T.J. Jagodowski, I got you know he was on a team and I was an intern and I got to see him all the time. So you I got to see them when they were already past yeah. some of these issues. Well, yeah, T.J. was actually on it on a team, you know, and like the earliest stages of Baby Wants Candy, which is the musical improv troupe that's still together. So a lot of them were in their early stages of forming and gelling, all mm-hmm. skilled in their own right. But I would assume that from uh, even like the TJ I saw then compared to the master that he is now. Oh my gosh. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, so that would be maybe an example of someone that uh, absolutely has become like King, <laughs> you know, and I got to, you know, see him when he was on probably his probably second team at the time. Um, one of, of obviously one of the strong teams, but mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, you know, wonder for those people. And I think all of us have things that we want to, overcome or get you know, I guess make, yeah actually I could answer your question now I realize that because yeah Miles and he's he's t- talked about this on a podcast and and openly too that that he was struggling with certain aspects of the form and mainly <clears throat> the letting go mm-hmm. um the not working so hard because as I said he's you know he's methodical he thinks he's you know looks at structures and what have you mm-hmm. and he was struggling with the letting go side of it, overthinking it, mm-hmm. and was very vocal about that. And that was part of the reason he got up in class and would, would stop for a second and, and you know, analyze again something that happened and talk to us about it. So, you know, he was really working for something himself. And he uh, credits playing with uh, Heather Ann Campbell mm-hmm. as being his epiphany of, you know, just, okay, this is what can happen. And improv, and the two of them were a, a duo out in LA and did cage matches and ones, and they perform still perform together. Um, but he does credit her, and she's she's an incredibly playful character. She was on my group, Powerbox, um, mm-hmm. and she's out, of course you know now she's on Who's Line and all that, so you know her. But yeah. uh, she's so playful and so smart and so resourceful and and just creative, and she's just a wonderful energy. And so I'm, I thought to myself, like even seeing their first, you know, pairing, I was like, really? But then when I heard him describe all that, I was like, that's fantastic. And, uh, so that would be an example of someone that has changed his style of play based, you know, from obviously diligent adherence to studying and figuring it out. And then finally reaching that moment, you know, years later. Right. Well, that's good to continuing process. I mean, we're all in the process. I mean, right. We're always getting better at something. Yeah. But uh, those things where, you know, I, I wonder, I, I sometimes worry when I see players who seem to struggle just with accepting the energy and taking the energy and passing the energy. Right. And it's like, well, right. that's the basics. So yeah. I'm a little worried about your future in this if you're mm-hmm. struggling with the basic part of this. 
And, you know, I try, I mean, the simplest thing, zip, zap, zap, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone does it ad infinitum. But you can tell so much about a player and how they're going to play by how they play that game. I 100% agree. The people who try to, like, you know, throw throw zip some, yeah. <laughs> to somebody else in a, on the sneaky sneak, mm-hmm. those people tend to be harder to do improv with. That's <laughs> <laughs> Because they just they're doing their own thing, right? <laughs> and, and other the people, people that, like, can't connect with them. Can't connect with them, and the people that don't uh, like kind of half-ass clap, oh, half-ass yeah. pass it. You know that they're not fully letting go. They're not really allowing themselves yet, mm-hmm. um, and that that's why I I I think I'm probably the most militant when that game's being played. You know, I love that. Because you did that in the in the mm-hmm. workshop that I took, and I, I commented afterwards. You asked like, "How did that feel?" Now that we've done it, and you were doing eliminations. Like if someone said, "Yeah, zip, to the death. zap, zap," then you're like, "All right, third person. Get out right? of here. It was supposed to be zap. <laughs> you're out. You're out." And um, they would be like, "Huh? What?" And you're like, "Out." <laughs> you know, you were very mm-hmm. direct, and you were militant about it, but mm-hmm. it made us so on the ready. And I remember commenting afterwards that that was the hardest I'd ever done it. And I was the most out of breath out of doing any work warm up <laughs> I've ever been, you know, like it was yeah. not that I was like out of shape or anything. I just mean uh, it, it was like something that made you get in it so much. So you didn't mess right. up. Yeah. And now well, and it it's gets like, yeah, good. I hope. Yeah. I hope now it's just fun because it gets the engine going. Like I always right. ask, yeah. oh, where's your energy after we play it that way? They're like, oh, it's in my chest. I'm like, yeah, that's your engine. Like, mm. you've got to start your damn engine. Like, of course. That's like, another good. Else. That's another good thing you're saying that, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to listen to this episode a couple of times. <laughs> just so, take notes. And so I can, <laughs> right. Do well, it's just do it, do it's it. a really great way to put it because, you know, some people think, oh, we're just doing warm-ups. You mm-hmm. know, they're just kind of shrugging about it. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, like, you know, something that's kind of intellectual about warm-ups. About, yes. oh, well, we're passing the energy and we're connecting. And it's a good way to just start, you know, it's like an icebreaker. But mm-hmm. it's more than that. You're starting your engine. Right. And that is, that's where the sparks happen, you know. That's right. where that's where something right. intense is happening when you start an engine. Yeah. And yeah. it does not, need to be. It's something you could do really physically. I mean, when, when, you, when it matters... Mm-hmm. There's something that starts that you can't do with a jumping jack. Right. You know, it, it's an internal fire that's created. And, and I think with, with adults especially, mm-hmm. we, you've got to find warm-ups that attack that, that, that address that. Because I'm telling you, some, some adult warm-ups are like, well, let's just all sit around and talk about our day. Why? You do that all damn day. That has not No. That's the worst you can do. Like, yeah. Just, no, talk about your day Maybe in a scream, maybe with every emotion at a level 10, maybe saying all the words you wish you would have said. Okay, now let's talk about your day, but don't just, don't, you know, do a little arm flaps and just exchange niceties. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that is, there's a lot of going through the motions Mm -hmm. with uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of warm ups and, that's not really what it's supposed to be. Um, I maybe wrongly made a reference to basketball teams doing layup drills before a basketball right. game. 
and uh, and I was like, that's what that's essentially what we're doing with these warm-ups is the same thing that these basketball teams are doing. They're you know they're getting the blood flowing, right? And they're kicking in that muscle memory of the skills that they're going to need to play the game, and right. we're kicking in muscle memories for the skills that we need to do to do improv. That's why we're doing this. But um, I think it's easy to look at the, it's not like basketball players are hustling when they're doing, they're not like putting their all into those layup drills before a game. They're just kind of going through it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what ends up. I think it's an easy thing to take from my comment, even though I still think it's correct, but maybe I need to explain it with that start your engines sort of Mm -hmm. approach as well. Yeah, because I, I would say, like I went to a UNC game a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and, and I agree, that, you know, they're going through the motions, but what what is also happening is their engine is starting because you cannot help but be affected by the crowd, the dynamics, right. the intimidation factor of all the, you know, I call right. it Fox Sports on acid. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it is happening, but with, with like an improv troupe, I, I get the idea of the casual warm-up, but what's what's creating that for them? Right. They're, they're in a green room by themselves. They don't know what the audience is going to look like. And, I, and I've had troops say to me, well, we would have had a better show, but there were only six people in the audience. And I'm like, that's complete and utter crap because <laughs> those six people should have the best show of their lives. It has nothing to do with them. Right. You need to still do what you need to do to bring it full on i mean right if you come out ready then it doesn't matter who's in the audience if if you're properly prepared and you're Mm -hmm. and you're not trying to get the energy from the audience to get you started Mm -hmm. but you have already got the energy because you got yourself started then there could be one person in the audience and you can still give it your own best experience ever if anything that should drive you further because you want to make that one person so glad they sat there by themselves oh right (laughs) you know that, and then that word will spread, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a difficult think, difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that being able to perform in front of you know fully engaged, fully believing in your world with all the energy, even though there's six people in the audience, do you think that helps in filming uh, maybe a TV show or a movie that doesn't have a live audience? Because you've done yes. a, some work like that and. Those are weird experiences because there's a, they talk about how there's all this hurry up and wait. And then, you you, you know, it's, they're hurrying you yeah. to get to the set. And then you're just standing on the set in a dark room. And uh, then right. the camera's on and you just have to be fully this other character, fully believe in your world. And two <laughs> seconds ago, you're just like lounging, <laughs> just waiting yeah. for them to get started. Absolutely. And I would say it's it's harder too. And it is good training for that because uh, like for one of the, one show I was on, uh, it was called, Oh, grow up. And it didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I came in and they let the audience do their thing, like just react as they wanted to. And after, I mean, the, you know, I got the laugh or whatever and all that, but then they stopped everything and said, look, audience, we don't want any of this, any of that. Just observe. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of jarring because then your whole thing was <laughs> did not get the response that it wanted to organically. Mm-hmm. 
you were stripped of that. And so you really did have to just think, okay, well, I'm going to do the same thing with absolutely no indicators if I'm hitting everything right. And, and it is, yeah, it's good training because you, you never know. I mean, especially if you're an actor and you're auditioning with the tape, mm-hmm. there's no one there. There's no one there to laugh. The reader's right. not going to laugh. I mean, you, you just have to be able to bring it all the time. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, an actor that has, uh, like, when I was on Spin City, uh, they, I was sitting with um, Barry Boswick and everybody in, like, the governor's office scene, and I had one line to say, and it had to get the laugh. And so you'd wait and wait and wait, and they'd say something, and then I had to deliver that, and then someone would say something, and then a few things would happen, and then it's over. And uh, we did it once, and they're like, okay. And then you take forever to reset everything. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Barry Bosick said to me, said to me, he said, you have the hardest job because <laughs> you have to say that right every time <laughs> in order to get this laugh. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's true. I mean, so it's, it's like you're, you're in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, and so what I'm always telling my improvisers, you know, don't improvise in a vacuum. You're not in a vacuum. You're, you you're are. A person. Yeah. You're a person. <laughs> You're affecting people. You're part of the group. And yeah, whether there's six people in the audience or not. Exactly. I am teaching a one-on-one class. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's my second time teaching a one-on-one class, but first time doing it solo. And mm-hmm. it is a great group. And I, I'm wondering if, because you have a good bit of experience getting people started in mm-hmm. the world of improv, is there any advice you have for uh, teachers to give to their students or just for the for me myself <laughs> the, t- well, the teachers I, on a level one um, <clears throat> well I think the number one thing I address and this is adults correct it's an adult class yes because um, I'm about to teach a class that's even though it's an advanced class I have about three people that are actors mm-hmm. that have not taken improv okay. so the my thing I like to address first is don't be scared. Mm-hmm. I think everyone that comes to a one on one is so they something about them brought them there, mm-hmm. and there's another side of them that's telling them don't get in the car, and I'm not going to be funny, and I won't know what I'm doing, and all that. And and I think that first day I like to just knock that other person out of there, mm-hmm. and just really. Try to find the person inside that said, I want to do this and really speak to them and mm-hmm. find games, um, you know, getting acquaintance things that gets them completely out of their head, doing things that they never thought they'd do before. So that other person, that judgy side of themselves really has no room for a voice eventually because they're so caught up in everything else. Mm-hmm. And I like to surprise them, like have them surprise themselves so that by the end, they're doing at least three line or five line scenes. And so I might heavy handedly give them a point of view, mm-hmm. an emotion, and uh, let, let that help them get into it. And then always afterwards, how'd that feel? How did that feel? What do you think? getting them talking and, and a lot of them tend to talk through that fear out loud if you give them that opportunity and then I just take feverish notes on who said what their Achilles heels are and, and what to be aware of and and sort of see like okay now how does each of these people think work judge themselves or whatever mm-hmm. 
and just kind of make a little map for each of them on the journey through that whole class. That's really good info and and advice because a lot of the players or a lot of the the students that I have, they're not people, most of them are people who did not perform in some other capacity somewhere else. Uh, oh, it's, great. It's, they're like two people oh, maybe so who've done something. <laughs> yeah. Most of them are people who are just have day jobs and they want to get better at engaging with people and speaking in front of an audience. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I, they're, so the, the big hump is to just get over that fear and that, right. that part of them that's saying, oh, you know, whatever negative thought, you know, that negative right. self-talk, they got to just knock it out. They have to. I had a group, a professional group, that they wanted to do a like a bonding workshop to help them because they're the marketing creative team for a particular company for an app. And so we ended up, the most successful game they played was the rant. Mm-hmm. Because you're, everyone loves to you know complain or, or go <laughs> off on something and if uh-huh. you hit the right topics and you just you if someone's talking you just are yelling you know go 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 get out get them out get them out get them out like if you're encouraging them to throw themselves up there to help the other person get it done mm-hmm. you find that they all start really being more themselves and saying things that are just naturally funny and then they get these big laughs and they're kind of surprised and and at the end um well, of course, they also share probably too much about work drama, but <laughs> but at the end, a lot of the feedback was I had no idea how funny these people I work with are, mm-hmm. and and it's because well, there's no space for that really at work to right. really let go and and see how funny how you how your funny is like how does your funny work are you dry are you snarky are you silly are you whatever, and uh, I, I like that for that. Because you get to know their personality too. Excellent, that's uh, that's good. Well, mm-hmm. I say we've reached the end, but I definitely feel like we could talk for another couple of hours. So I'll have to have <laughs> you on again sometime uh, oh. to talk. I, I said this to Brian James O'Connell too, so uh, it'd be great to have you on again. But now is the time for us to try to create something together. But given the discussion we've had, I'm not exactly sure what that should be. Do you have any ideas? Well. Um, I could talk to you about what I've been carrying my head for this particular class and, and you and I can maybe feedback it and, and I can get your thoughts and we can sort of co-create that. Um, yeah. I'm teaching a class starting mm-hmm. next week on character work. Okay. Um, because I find adults tend to only play themselves on stage very or variations of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to think of a way to make them more cognizant of who they play consistently on stage Mm. because we never they they don't really think of it that way you know right Um, so i had thought about putting down like tell me your four energies you think you do on stage like Mm. analyze them write them down age gender speech pattern whatever Mm-hmm. And have them like write them down, and then um, from then I'm deciding whether do they trade them with someone, mm. and have that other person so they can watch themselves, or do we try to find ways to then take those standard stock characters and push them into an 
a different situation or, or change and alter something about them, like the baby steps. Right. I just want you to be able to truly recognize and own their go-tos. Yeah. So, let's see. I think... I think the tough thing for me to figure out is how they could really see themselves. But mm-hmm. I guess if if you have them write it down, they give it to someone else, and at least someone else is there to say, hey, you're, you are doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, some I know there's that one exercise where people walk around as themselves. They just walk around the whole room, and the instructor will just say, recognize how you walk. Where yeah. your arms are, how you hold yourself, that's how you walk. Right. So then they start throwing on different characteristics so they can uh, say, like, you're aware of how you walk, so change that so you can be a different kind of person. But right. if there's a way to do that with voice, but then getting deeper, um, the way somebody well, thinks, too. Yeah, where they think, too, yeah. Because I've done a lot of the body work, and that's that's an approach, like, later on where mm-hmm. we... You know, you work from a body part. Like, but, but for right now, for argument's sake, who would you mm-hmm. say are the top two characters you come out on the stage doing? Myself mm-hmm. and a uh, country, a country guy. And why? So why would you lean towards yourself? I think sometimes I'm intentionally, uh, to a fault, being neutral so that I don't <laughs> step on anything. Um, and, uh, cause I'm not sure cause I'm the team that I perform with most of the time is an Armando. And so I'm giving them the opportunity to present what they want. And I don't want to do something that's too far away from maybe what they need. Um, but we're also not, our school of thought doesn't really come from the framing each other or giving each other big playable gifts. Gotcha. So we end up not having them. Ooh. Unless we come up with it ourselves. But then right. someone can miss that that's what you're doing. But right. too often that just becomes something that feels, for me personally, well, the way I do it, it feels too much like I'm going for the joke. And so right. then I just end up reverting back to just neutral Jason. Right. And then when I do like the country guy, it just that just seems like a hack move for me because now it's like oh I don't want to just be myself. Well, here's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not that's yep. not even the voice <laughs> that I do, but I just mean it just ends up being this kind of guy that I'm. It's that I feel is not like me, but it's not right. the type of work I want to do. I want to be a completely different person, right? Uh, as well. You see, that's awesome because that that's exactly what I would like to hear from the people I'm going to ask that question to. That's so then I guess my question back would be given that unlike in television, theater, whatever on an improv stage, you can be absolutely anything you want to be. Ask yourself why you consistently be yourself or that other character. Like what would be one word to describe why you make that choice? Um, I think the easy answer is fear but that's not the truthful answer i think i don't know how to say it in one word um i would say like a lack of knowledge Hmm. in what area well just the fact of 
I don't know the skill in order to really it very quickly get me into the body of another person. Gotcha. Because I want to be as, you know, I want to do character work that's mm-hmm. real, that's like old school. Like there, you know, you see something, uh, there's a guy in Ghostbusters who's just standing by the elevator and he has like one line. And that guy, that that character seems so rich just because of the way the guy is. Mm-hmm. And I want to be like that in a scene where if I have one line, even in that, that one line that I have, it looks like I'm a full person. Right. I don't know the skill to do that in improv quickly uh, in the sort of fast, faster paced improv scenes. Right. Because right. um, I, I always tell, I'm starting to really push too, that people that do walk-ons, could you have done that walk-on as the full character? You know, like, oh, I'm at the store and I'm the cashier told me and someone comes out <clears throat> and says exactly what the cashier said, right? Mm-hmm. I said, why couldn't you come out and been like a 90-year-old cashier who's got a toothpick? <laughs> you're, you're still facilitating what needs to happen, mm-hmm. but you brought another color to it that not only can the show use later on, but it it made you entertain yourself too, like it challenged you too. <laughs> right. So, so I'd give you that that first assignment would be if you if you're not comfortable having a fully flushed out character in a scene and sustaining that character, mm-hmm. start with small characters in small moments, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, I should say big character in small moments. So, if you know you have to go out and serve either a walk on or a tag out or whatever come out as something that would be who you would see in that moment mm-hmm. or uh, who unexpectedly like, Oh, I talked to my principal the other day and then come out as the principal and you've, you know, you're like using a hacky sack. Like, <laughs> right. you know, do you know what I mean? Like find small ways to start getting into that world. Um, and then I always tell people every day, observe people like it's your job. Yeah. So I, I started doing that way before I started doing improv. Mm-hmm. But now it's just like a fun pastime. Like I'm not doing what I need to do to learn. So tough love, do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I always have people keep like a, a little little booklet, you know. You mm-hmm. keep it with you. And when you notice people you, and you listen to conversations, you write them down. And then you bring them out in a scene. If you know you've got cowboy guy... <laughs> how easy would it be to just work in another one right that's my challenge to you it's so much more fun to play with characters it is it's it, so rewarding and it fun. really is and it's um, a, each, such an easy way to bring energy to your whole show i had my team do an exercise that got them to discover a character and just be something different than themselves just be a character and i told them once you have that you can just be that character the whole scene. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all you need. You have a, a frame right. of mind. You have body language that you're putting out. It can be really easy when you're doing an exercise to do what the exercise calls for, like in this case, doing character work. But it's really easy that once you get into doing scene work that you drop all that stuff. You're not you're not holding on to the character anymore. Right. So it's a way around that just to remind them like, hey, guys, just 
keep doing that. Don't drop it. It is because I would say sustaining a character is the toughest thing if you're new to it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because I think I always, I find that people will say to me, well, I just, you know, I, I, I got lost or I, I like, it all comes from judging themselves. Like mm. I didn't think it was funny or, and, and I, well, if I'm coaching, I just say, where's your character? I'll just throw it out as the scene's going on. Don't lose character. Don't lose mm. character to make them keep it up. Like the balloon, keep that balloon in the air, keep mm. the character going. Or I'll call them out. You lost your character in that scene. And like, okay, like you can't lose character. So just constantly calling it out to where they're able to start catching themselves Mm, when they give up. You know, it's not, it doesn't hurt to just stop. If it's in a rehearsal, it doesn't hurt to just say, talk coach during a scene. I'm all about that. Okay. And sometimes giving them a chance to do the same scene again with that character. And, you know, because it's like you said, muscle memory. Yeah, the hard, It's so hard for people to, to give themselves permission to do characters, but once they do, and <laughs> I, I see their faces, they're mm-hmm. just like, my God, I, because there's something so freeing about a character, and as an audience member, it's, it's an experience for them. Mm-hmm. They don't look at you anymore. They look at what you're doing, and then they find, oh my gosh, that's so like those that type of person. And of course, they had that catchphrase, and of course, mm-hmm. they said, and they they relate it to their lives, and it's it's such a communal like experience. And but the actor gets to sort of let go and and say things you never would say in your life because it's not you. Mm-hmm. And I. My actors will say time and again, I don't even know where that where that came from. I said, yeah, because it's your character. It came from your character. Right. That's so much easier to improvise behind the mask of a character than just as yourself. Right. Right. You know, so my character true. made me do it. You know, that's my push. You have to come take my character class. That's what you got to do. Drive whatever seventeen hours, however far it is. <laughs> come take my class on Mondays. <laughs> well, it, I would love to. I wish I could, but yeah. I'll Are you doing NC Comedy Arts again? Yes, we will be there. Oh, good. I can't teach because I've got three teams performing, and they're all youths. So <laughs> <laughs> well, gotta... hopefully, we'll get to catch up though. Yeah, I'd love to see you there. Yeah, yeah you have for to sure. see the groups. Definitely. Uh, what day are you coming? We are coming up on a Thursday, and we have a show, I think, that Thursday. I'm in a show. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'm there the whole weekend. Okay. Well, the 23rd, my teen Dynamo troupe, the Existentials, plays at the um, Art Center main stage. Oh, so. okay. I guess that's a couple of days before I'll be up there. The 23rd. Yeah, you'll be yeah, there the for the... 20th, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The 25th is the workshops. My other two groups perform the 25th at the side stage. But yeah, oh, hopefully I'll see you. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Jairus. Thanks for asking. It was great talking with you. It was great talking with you too. There was so much great information in there. Oh, good. Hopefully. <laughs> it's that mid-afternoon mom brain. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed it. That was such a fun chat for me. And one of the things I just have to say it again, inspiration. That's the word of the day. And it always is when it comes to Jairus Donovan, because she just ignites inspiration in me. When I took her workshop, I was inspired to be a better improviser. And from seeing how she teaches, she's strict and she challenges you 
but she doesn't take the fun out of doing improv. So she not only inspired me as a player, but also as a coach and an instructor. And I hope to be as great as she is one day. Well, as I mentioned, she is an instructor and she works at the Moonlight Stage Company. And we fit in a little plug there for the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. That's coming up later this month. You can go to nccomedyarts.com to find out information about shows. Jairus has, as she mentioned, three different troops that are going to be performing. Spitfire, Improbables, and Existentials. Those are the three teams that she's going to have there. So come check those out. And check me out. Me and my good friend Andrew Van are going to be performing Means to an End on February 23rd. So again, nccomedyarts.com to find out all the info. Well, if you want to know more about this podcast, you can go to thereitispod.com. You can, of course, subscribe to us on both SoundCloud and iTunes. Please leave reviews. And you can also follow us on social media at thereitispod on both Twitter and Facebook. And on Twitter, you can find me at Jason Jokes. Well, this has been a fun episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've got more fun ones coming up. And until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.